Okay, guys, thanks for joining me. We're here for New Scoreboards Episode 5, and I have a special one for you today. I'm joined by Trey Del Greco. Thanks for joining us, man. His story is just going into golf, uh, now in the mortgage business and everything in between, and what we can borrow from him throughout you know, his process, his career, how he dealt with that transition, things he learned that he'd like to do the same, and maybe some things he learned that um, he can offer that somebody else after him can do better. But um, we're just going to learn from you today, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for being on. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, man. Um, so take us back, man. You're. Uh, I want to start by saying I think you're the best golfer that I've ever played with. <laughs> Depends <And> on the day. <laughs> I know my business partner, Rod, is going to hear this. Um, but you're you're fresher out than he is, right? So when when I, we first met, you were only like five years removed from playing. So I'm level. younger is a way to say that. Right, I'll take that with me. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've never had the chance to play Rob head to head. Would certainly love to do that. Maybe we can get a fun fun outing one yes. day. That would be good. I don't know what we'd put on the line for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's funny you say that about being several years at least closer to my career. I've found that the less I've really practiced and dove into golf the better I play for some reason yeah and um I, I'm getting to the reason behind that but I'm not not quite there as to why that is of course I do throw in the 80 every once in a while in there so maybe it's not totally foolproof but um yeah it's fun man it's a good it's a good escape for me something I enjoy doing for sure yeah yeah it's it's almost like the golf thing for me is like I play basketball so it's like do I use that anymore? I mean, I certainly borrow the lessons from it and I'm sure as mm -hmm. my kids get older I'd like to like be involved more in the game but I feel like, you know, the old adage, like, golf, you can play forever. Um, certainly helpful for business. Too. The game definitely changes over time. The older you get, it's a, it's a different game. But, yes, you can definitely play forever. In the business world, obviously, golf is has a huge uh, piece of that pie, and it's definitely something you can use if, if you go about it the right way. Um, so that's something I've really focused on, something I've enjoyed doing. And anytime you can marry work and something yeah. you love, I mean, good things happen. So, And that's such a good point. Like a lot of people talk about work-life balance and it gets tough. Life gets busy. So to keep everything in balance just is, is sometimes very unrealistic. So the, I, we talk about work-life integration and the more you can integrate, like if you like working out and your fitness, but you can also go with people that you do business with. Sure. Great. Now you got an hour blocked off and you've knocked out a couple of things that are important to you with one activity. Yeah. The other thing you can do is, you know, you and I are in the same spot where we both have young kids and you've got time with the family and you don't want to spend half a day on Saturday away from your family, yeah. right? You've spent the entire week working. That's kind of your family time, right? Yep. So knowing that you can use golf to get ahead with your business, it makes it easier for me to schedule some golf days during the week, you know, with my business partners where I'm not having to take that time away from my kids, take that time away from my family. I can still get time doing a sport that I love and I can yeah. kind of make it work related to and help it to build my business. So yeah, it's a really cool, uh, it's a really cool marriage there. Man, so I want to jump in, go back a little bit. When did you get serious about golf? What age? So I've always played since I was really young. My dad was an avid golfer. He taught me the game and, and he did a really good job of teaching me so many life lessons through the game of golf, not just how to play and how to be good at it, but what it means in terms of how it can apply to my life. So I'd say I got really serious about it around middle school. That's when I started playing tournaments. Um, I'm sitting in a chair, but my size, you probably would be surprised me saying this. I always thought I'd play football in college. Mm -hmm. I was a place kicker. I was a decent place kicker in high school, um, following in his footsteps, of course. You played in the NFL? He did. He played 17 years in the NFL. 17 years? One of the all-time greats um, in terms of field goal kickers. And I'm Jeez. so proud of the career that he's had. It's a really cool thing that I get to talk about. And 
long story short led to me meeting my wife, but that's a very long story. Um, but ultimately I always kind of thought that was going to be my path. I was going to follow in his footsteps, go to Auburn where he played. And then my sophomore year of high school, I won the individual state championship for golf. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first time I realized like I might actually be halfway decent at this. Maybe I could have a career in, in golf instead of football. A lot less contact, especially for a guy like me who's, right. you know, five, eight hundred and seventy pounds. College football, especially in the SEC, probably sure. wasn't a great idea. <laughs> um, so golf seemed a little safer. I enjoyed it more. I thought it was more challenging and you know, it just was a better fit for me. So that's when I actually decided that golf was what I wanted to do mm. in college. So I gave up football my junior year and spent that fall working on my game, getting prepared for the spring season because that was a very important recruiting year for golf. Yep. And then um, signed on with Vanderbilt and actually got to go play football again my senior year once I had kind of locked up my spot in college. So that was kind of the progression of it. I, I almost overnight saw myself as being a football um, player in college to I won the state championship the very next day I was like this is it man I'm, I'm gonna go play golf somewhere and it was the individual state championship so my sophomore year it was my senior year we won the team individual title I, I finished runner-up by one shot and I'm still a little bitter about it by this day but the kid that beat me actually went on to make it on the PGA tour so you know he's he was a very good player and that was a well-deserved individual what, championship when you compete in golf are you competing against all people in high school or is it the sophomores yeah no great question so our high school, Spain Park High School, puts out five guys. They could be five seniors. They could be one senior and four juniors. Okay. could be any number of people. It's your best five guys. Yep. Every round, you count the best four scores, and then that way everybody's played every round. The low individual is a combination of the lowest score by the individual. The team championship is based on the lowest four scores from, from your five okay. guys. So it's kind of like individual parlays into the team score. Yeah, it's both, and it's really cool because nothing that I do on the course – dictates anything what any of my teammates do like I'm in my own world they're in their own world but if I'm having a day where it's just not really going my way and things aren't going great I still have those four other guys to count on me to get as in the hole in as few shots as possible yeah you know if I can turn a double into a bogey maybe it helps me individually but it's definitely going to help the team yeah. so it just kind of gives you that extra aspect of staying mentally sharp and, and keep fighting keep battling because there are other guys never counting out on of you. it yeah absolutely the uh you mentioned some things i i always forget like i knew your dad i i felt like i remember he was in the nfl news kicker but I, I had no idea at what level and how long his career was so that that was a cool reminder that how much you probably picked up from him just how to be a professional how to approach a game um, I'm sure learning through his lens if he was the one that kind of taught you golf but you mentioned a couple of things outside of the game what was it specific about golf that you feel like you learned growing up that kind of was it etiquette is it is it you know the approach of a next shot like what what specifics so there's a couple of different things I think the mentality of it is is a big part of it because the way he always approached his career the way he taught me to approach my studies my relationships golf football whatever it was he was always big on hard work and he always said look I don't expect you to be the best I don't expect you to be perfect I do expect you to show up and give it your best every day so that was kind of the mm. the first piece that was really ingrained into me was if you're going to do something do it like we're not going to show up and just do it halfway and 
my family still jokes me this to this day that I, I only know one speed. Like I'm 110%, even if I'm playing, you know, a church league basketball right. game, like I'm way too intense. It's a game, man. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> I've, I've been kicked off of kickball teams before too, because I was way too competitive with it. But that's pretty much the first thing is like, if you're going to do something, do it. And I took that into my studies and I always made good grades for that exact reason. Um, and I do it in my mortgage business today. You know, like I don't show up any day, like, all right, let's just get through today and kind of do it halfway, go through the motions and check the boxes. Like if I'm here, I'm going to be here. And then the second thing is really just doing all the little things right. If you can do all the little things right, that's going to add up to big things overall. And I think it's scary when you think about, you know, pick a goal out there. Maybe I want to fund $50 million next year. Well, that goal by itself is scary and probably unattainable if you only look at it through that lens. But if you show up every day and you take care of the little things, you have a strategy and you do everything the right way, those things add up to 50 million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not there yet. We're still building towards that, but I'd say those are probably the two key things that he taught me that, you know, I I hope to ingrain that in my boys one day. And, you know, I've already been intentionally working towards that with them. Yeah. That's uh, a lesson. I remember when I was younger, I was probably nine, 10 years old and I had a coach, really good coach, um, huge influence in my life. And I was, you know, he basically approached me and just said, look, like kind of what your dad said, don't expect you to be perfect, but the two things you can control mm-hmm. are your attitude and effort. And those have to be on point if you're going to be here. And I always work to approach every single year a little bit better just from an attitude and effort standpoint. Yeah. Um, but golf adds that element that not that details don't matter in, in basketball or, or whatever. They certainly do. But I feel like golf specifically, that there's so many details. There's so many nuances, ways you can hit a shot, you know, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, that – from a 18 hole, you know, 18 hole round, so much can go right, so much can go wrong, but the piecing together the little things just seems more relevant in that sport. So I've never actually thought, thought about it in that lens. Yeah. I think the, the biggest difference in my mind is in golf, let's say you've got a par three, it's 150 yards. Well, it matters how straight you hit it. It matters how far you hit it. Right. You can hit it too far left, too far right, short or long. In kicking, it was just, if you hit it far enough and straight enough, it doesn't matter if it goes through the uprights by 30 yards or if it clears it by one yard. The field goal is good. It's three points. End of story. I always really enjoyed and embraced that challenge in golf where it, like the little details matter. It's not just blasted as far as I can, as straight mm-hmm. as I can. Like I have to control how far I'm hitting it, control the spin, next shot. setting up your next shot, reading the you know slope of the green, things like that, reading the wind. Is it uphill or downhill? Like there's so many more intricate details that you have to account for it's a lot more challenging than kicking a field goal. I can promise you that, but that always really intrigued me. I yeah. liked that it wasn't just blast away and, you know, hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, see so transition Vanderbilt, an incredible school, awesome city, close enough to home from yep. Birmingham, uh, but far enough away. What was, what was Vanderbilt? Like what was the hardest part about playing college golf? So you nailed exactly why I went to Vandy for all of those reasons. Um, I loved my, the last place my dad played football was with the Titans in Nashville. So I kind of grew okay. up there for a little bit. I remembered loving Nashville as a kid. Nashville's just a great town. Incredible. And to be honest, I always had plans to go to med school after college. So I thought maybe Vanderbilt was a good route for that. Looking back with the challenges that were in place, it probably was a little unrealistic. I'd have been better off going to a state school and then going to med school after that. But you know, I wouldn't change the path that I had, you know, for the world. And I I think the biggest challenge of all of it was at a school like Vanderbilt, the academics were very challenging. Mm -hmm. 
any smart person could get through it. It's not like nobody can do it, right? right? It just means you have to apply yourself. You cannot mess around. Definitely not partying as much as you do at, at state schools. And then also on top of that, competing in the SEC, which was one of the most competitive, you know, athletic conferences that you could be in, especially in golf. All of those things stacked together is what was so challenging about it. You know, to be successful either in my grades or in my athletics, I had to work very, very, very hard. And I had to do both at the same time. Yep. And that was what made it really challenging. Yeah, that's there's a couple of things I take away from having a different experience and I, me going to a state school. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned something about med school. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's so funny because people, I would see freshmen come in every year. And some of them would be, you know, more inclined to have high hopes. And they'd be like, I'm going to do engineering or I'm going to do medicine, whatever it is. Like, all right, we'll just give it a year because although your intentions are maybe good and some people do it, but most it's very challenging to do it. Well, it's it's a lot that it requires of you and you only have so much time in a day. So at a certain point, you kind of have to choose, am I going to spend my time pursuing a career in golf or am I going to spend my time, you know, prioritizing my Mm -hmm. academics, knowing that it's going to take a toll on my athletic performance. So trying to find that balance, because that balance is looks different from everybody for everybody. Some people are more inclined to chase the athletics route. Some people are more inclined with the maybe more realistic academic route, but everybody's balance looks a little bit different and you have to find that balance. That's right for you. Yeah. That's a good point. I think part of the process of going to school, I think a lot of people now like, Oh, well, college isn't worth, what it costs. Okay. That may be right, but there's something still about the experience of learning how to juggle that type of thing. How do I do both? How do I balance my time? How do I, you know? Yeah. And I mean, if you replace college sports with the party scene or your fraternity or whatever clubs that you're involved in, I mean, it's the, still the same equation, right? Sure. You've got so much time in the day. How do I spend my time? And I think that's what college really teaches kids. Cause I don't remember a lot of the actual, curriculum that I learned in college, but I do remember learning how to navigate, how to prioritize my time, how to use that time efficiently and really figure out how to choose what I want to do. And I think that's an invaluable lesson that you learn from college that a lot of time goes unnoticed. I mean, yes, it's a piece of paper. A lot of careers require you to have that piece of paper, but I think that is a vast oversimplification of college. Yes, there are trades out there where you can do well without having to go to college, but do you still learn those life lessons that you learn while you're in school on your own for the first time? You don't have your parents telling you what to do. I I don't think you can really, you know, find that experience anywhere else. Yeah, it's definitely a gap that you would have to intentionally seek out some other mechanism to get that. Maybe it's a business running. Maybe there's a... There's and you'd a, have to have the maturity to right. know how to do it and I to understand. Had, it. I wouldn't have had that maturity. Absolutely not. Maybe Me I'm neither. still not mature. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, question too about, so you go on, you have a good career at Vanderbilt. Played three out of four years? No, I played you all know, four all years four. there. Um, a good career might be a loose term. I'd say it was average. And Well, if you played four years, to me, you know, that's a good career. Yeah, I mean, we were the bottom of the barrel when I was there. I think now Vandy's one of the top three programs in the country, and they have been they for really? a while. Everybody wow. now, when they when they hear I played golf at Vandy, they're like, oh, wow, you must have been really good. I'm like, well, we were a different team then. Sure. Um, I'd say out of the 14 teams in the SEC, we were 12th to 13th like okay. most of the years I was there. So we weren't great. I had a mediocre college career at best. 
And I still to this day joke about my mom because she had a, a very realistic conversation with me, which by the way, I'll say like nobody supported me more than my mom and dad. My mom was behind me a hundred percent. She encouraged me. She, she did all, all of those things the right way. I just like to um, kind of joke with her about this, but I never won a college tournament. Most of the time I was finishing middle of the pack. And when we had conversations about whether or not I was going to pursue a, a career in golf, she'd say, well, can I ask you a question? you haven't really won at the college level. What right. makes you think you're going to win at the pro level? And I was like, well, dang mom, that's a good point. <laughs> mom is, is it's some hard truth. She though. feels so bad about it today, but honestly, I think that's one of the best hard parenting conversations that she yeah. and I ever had because it, it brought me back to earth where anybody could sit there and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go chase a career in you know, professional sports. And the harsh reality of it is that there is a very low chance that it's going to work out. So I think she was just trying to bring me back to reality and understand that just because I don't end up on the PGA tour doesn't mean I can't have a successful life. Yes. And I think that's really what she was getting at. And she nailed it. I've had two very successful careers at this point. Um, I'm coming up my 33rd birthday is next month. So I, I do feel like I have a lot of years ahead of me and I do feel like I've gotten a very good start because I didn't, I don't want to say waste, but because I didn't spend five years chasing a pipe sure. dream I got to work immediately and yep. I took a lot of those lessons that I learned and I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. I love that. Cause everyone's past different and, and she was just managing expectations. You know? Yes. She still says she doesn't remember that conversation, yeah, but yeah. she feels so bad about it. And I, I try to tell her every time I'm like, look, that's some of the best advice you could have ever given me. And I'm not upset about that advice. If anything, I appreciate it more than she could ever know. So um, yeah, I think going to college for me, I had a, a different but a rude awakening happened earlier where, you know, no one gets like when you grow up, you to me, it's like I'm going to try to be one of the best. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to be the best player that I can be. But I want to be I'm used to being the best on my team or in my city or one of the best considered. And then you, as you go to different levels in college specifically, I remember having this moment where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I got to go to class. It's a different world. I'm sure. I know that this is going to end at some point. Yeah. Although I have hopes to play professionally, my expectations were very low going forward. And like you said, knowing what it takes, meaning you probably could play professionally, but I'm just not willing personally to make that sacrifice or that time spent or that money commitment mm -hmm. or giving up time in my career. And some people may may be willing to do that and they learn different lessons along the way but it's just you know i'm not willing to so what you were figuring out in that moment was what is my balance of sports and, and academics look like and right. for you i think your balance probably took a step more towards academics than sports is what i'm hearing yeah and i knew after that moment i knew okay i'm going to honor this experience but this experience is going to be i'm going to get a lot of juice from it i want to make relationships i want to mm -hmm. play sports i want to stay in school but I know at the end of the day, I'm not going to the NBA. The, the guys that make it are the guys that are so obsessive about basketball or golf. Like they could care less about the other stuff. Right. They could care less about the relationships, the academics, rather than spreading themselves thin with all those things that you and I cared about. They cared about one thing and they poured into it 1000%. And I think that's really what it takes to make it. And it's admirable that those guys and girls were able to do that. I tend to lean more the way you were thinking is – I knew those other things were important and I wasn't willing to sacrifice yeah. those golf and basketball are different. Had you turned pro, you probably would have gone through some sort of European league. Sure. You would have had to go through these D leagues, G league, whatever the NBA yeah. has. 
I'd be overseas. I'd be by myself. I mean, the way that, yeah. that basketball works is there's only a couple guys that are allowed in certain leagues to be, you know, from the U.S. or American. Mm -hmm. So you're with a team. You know, you largely don't speak the language. You're by yourself. You're in a different country. You're not used to. And you're not making ten. You're not making very much money. I mean, some guys do, right? But for the most part, most guys don't make very much money. Mm -hmm. uh, you're contract to contract. You could be in one country, then you're in another country. Yeah. And I just saw that. And it was similar to like when people would ask like, hey, are you going to get out and coach? I'd be like, I'm not just not willing to, to climb that ladder. Mm -hmm. um, I respect the people that do. I have a lot of friends that do. And, you know, some of them yeah. have very successful careers. But I know that journey and I'm just not willing to go it. So a, a good friend of mine that I went to high school with, um, he was a white guy, 6'3", point guard, shooting guard. Very, very good basketball player. Like of all the people that I know personally, he's one of the better. I've never seen you play, of course. Right. But he's one of the best basketball players I've ever seen. And he chased that dream and he has loved every minute of it. He's in his 12th year now. He's played in a couple of NBA games, but most of his career has been in Europe. It's been in yeah. the D league, the G league. And what's his name? Josh Majette. Cool. Um, he actually played with Orlando for a little bit. Um, but I mean, it, if you look at what an NBA career looks like, you wouldn't call that a successful NBA career. I think it's a successful career for him because he's chased it and chased yes. it and he's loved every minute of it. But it's definitely not the glamorous LeBron, Kobe, right. you know, Durant type of careers. So I think he understood that and he chased it and he's he's done an amazing job for himself. Um, and we're so proud of him, you know, for what he has achieved. For me, I wasn't willing to go through the golf equivalent to that yes. to that path. And sounds like you were thinking the same. And, and to me, it's the lit, litmus test. It's like it's no judgment. Everyone's in none, a different situation. All. It's more so but do the equation, do, do the equation knowing that this is what's going to take and then make the decision consciously. You're either say, Hey, like your buddy. Yes, absolutely. I don't care how long it takes. I'm obsessed with the game. I believe I'm good enough. This is what I want to be doing and I'm willing to pay the price. Mm -hmm. That's the right answer. Or you go through yeah. the other equation. You go, you know what? I think I might have a chance, but I can see what it takes. I'm not willing I think I'm going to, I'm going to do these things and set myself up. Maybe it's time for me to trans. That's the right answer. In yeah, my opinion. absolutely. And you know, we got lucky in my family growing up with my dad playing football because he pretty much spent eight, nine, maybe 10 years or 10 nights a year on the road. If they made it, you know, the one year they made it to the Super Bowl, he probably spent 11 nights on the road wow. for the year. So unique. So that's not common in professional no. sports. So we were very lucky with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I knew, like, obviously you want to do it for the fame. You want to do it for the money. But as a kid, I always looked at it like, okay, there's, you know, star athletes, there's superstars in the entertainment world. And then there's regular people. And it sounds really bad when I look back on that now, because now I'm like, you know what, there's a lot of regular people that make more money than half the professional athletes sure. out there. So if it's about a certain lifestyle you want to live, if mm -hmm. it's about a, a, success, whatever, however you measure that, if it's about significance, that's one thing we talk a lot about at movement mortgage, you can have success, but it means nothing without significance. I think that is really what matters to me in life. And when I realized that I realized that I could achieve success and significance without ever touching a golf club again, mm. probably more so in the business world than I ever could in the golf world. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I worked very, very hard at it. I had all of the tools available to me that I needed to be successful I was always the first guy to practice and workouts and the last one to leave. And even with that, I was still only the middle of the mm. road in terms of talent. So I think to a certain point, you kind of have to be born into that destiny, so to speak. 
yes, there are some guys that slip through the cracks and, and find a way to make it anyway. Ultimately, though, I think for me, it was probably unrealistic to expect that. So yeah. that's ultimately why I decided to say no, that's well it. said. And that's something I'm passionate about when you I reference the coaching thing. You know, people are looking sometimes college athletics specifically. I know friends of mine, you're looking for that natural transition. What do I do next? And I want to talk about your transition in a second. But it's not as clear for some of us. But I think what I would encourage a younger person to do is to start with what you were talking about. Well, what do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's look big picture. What do you want your lifestyle to look like? What do you want your days to look like? Do you want to be there with your family most time? Are you okay with traveling? You know, what level of income do you see yourself getting to eventually? What level of risk are you comfortable with? All right, yep. Are you willing to go out and eat what you kill and take a higher risk? Or do you need a more cush salary job mm-hmm. with the benefits and so on and so forth? No judgment. It's just what are you willing to do? And I think if you can answer that question or not maybe answer it, because I think at a young age, I didn't know exactly all those things, but you could have enough curiosity to pursue that answer Mm -hmm. and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that person because I I see that they got a really balanced life. I see that they don't miss, you know, their, their kids events. And I kind of, if I'm a dad, I I don't want to miss my kids. Absolutely. Right. And then you can start building backwards and then you can go, okay, well, what career, what skills would I need to be able to pursue a career that would allow me to do that? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I picked insurance personally, um, because it, it met a lot of the needs that I look like from a lifestyle standpoint. It's like you were talking about. There's just there's certain things that I want out of life and how I get there, whether it's mortgages, whether it's medical sales, whether it's golf, whether it's whatever, is less important than me getting those things that I value. Yeah. I think for me, it was, it was very family driven. You know, we had a very close knit family growing up. My wife's family was very close. And I think ultimately I wanted that in my own family one day. And I'm very fortunate I have that today. I think it's very hard to achieve that when you're spending 30 weeks on the road, you know, or four weeks at a time. I never really wanted that particular lifestyle. And there wasn't any amount of money that could have bought that time away from my kids. And in all reality, I'm, probably have a chance to make more money in this business than I ever did playing golf. That's just the reality of how good those guys are now. Mm-hmm. Was I going to be a Jordan Spieth that's making $30, $40 million a year? Probably not. So is that really an option on the table? For me, it wasn't. For some, it might be. For some, just having that option might be enough to to convince them to pursue their their dreams in sports. So, you know, everybody, like you said, is a little bit different. And the cool thing that I learned out of it is even if – if you're not good enough or if that's not what you want, there are other businesses, other careers, other avenues for you to get what you want. You just got to find the right one. You got to plug in and you got to apply all those things that you learned from your time in sports. Yeah. And the other thing is there's no waste that I believe there's no wasted experience. So Mm -hmm. you going through that experience and, you know, obviously golf is very transferable to business because you still use it today. But even basketball, even though I don't directly use basketball, I'm able to have a story that's able to talk to somebody or relate with somebody because I have that story. I'm able to have relationships that I honored throughout that experience that continue to be friendships or business partnerships, whatever it may be. So even if you go through a phase that's not forever and you're not going to be, you know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, whatever it may be, you still are able to honor and leverage that experience to help you in your next career. I'm sure you were a leader on your team in high school, and I'm sure at some point in college you got to be a leader on that team as well, and now leading your team here at Urban Young. I'm sure there's a lot of stories you lean back on, both good and bad, what worked and what didn't work. Sure. And you're growing a, a thriving business here because of those experiences you had as a basketball leader. Yeah. So I totally agree with you with you on that. So it's 
it's never wasted experience. I think that's a very good way to put it. So catch me up, Vanderbilt. One, how do you know when it's done? Like, was there a day that you said, yo, I just shot 80, <laughs> you know, like this is it? Yeah. So I, I mean, summer after my freshman year, I was playing very, very well. And it was kind of always like a 50, 50 for me. I'm like, we'll see how college goes. Honestly, I never felt, I want to say I didn't feel like I belonged, but I never felt like I showed up to a golf tournament expecting to win. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I was the best player there. So what my mom had told me was always somewhere there in the back of my mind, but I was just the kind of guy like show up, work hard, see what happens. Sure. After my freshman year, I had a really good summer, won a couple of tournaments and kind of thought like, all right, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. And I always approached it as a like very professional, I took a very professional approach to it. Like I was very serious about it. I didn't goof off. I worked hard. Like I said, I was the first one, last one to leave. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself once I kind of made that decision, like, okay, I'm going to be even more professional now. And then my sophomore year, I didn't play great junior year. I really didn't play that well and was kind of getting burned out with it. Decided, you know what, this is just a lifestyle that I don't want any part of. I'm farther away from being good enough to play on the PGA tour than I was a year ago. So I'm going the wrong direction. You know what, senior year, let's just enjoy it. This is going to be my last hurrah your best year i played great in the fall yeah you know? <laughs> and then you know i kind of got to where i was like all right maybe we can make this happen and, and we again, started the same thing oh cycle my continued. gosh that's so fascinating to me I, i've always been a believer i've always been a, a strong christian and you know that to me was a sign that that wasn't what i was meant to do you know i believe everybody was put on this earth for a purpose and that was not my purpose and it was very clear to me in that moment you know was i good enough probably not did i take the right approach and do everything in my power i think i did so that was really kind of the tell for me that like, you know what, maybe golf is not, yeah. you know, and I still have visions of what could have been if it had sure. worked out. Still hit one, you know, 350 down oh, the middle thing you know, and yo. But then I'll fat still, the wedge the next yeah, yeah. shot. So it brings me back to reality real quick. Now that's great, man. Yeah, it's like the divine's giving you some feedback if you're if you're able to listen to it to go, hey, you know what, maybe there's something here and I could, I could. Yeah, you know, I, I think God opens doors when he wants you to walk through them, and he closes doors when he doesn't want you to walk through them. And I think that was a very clear picture for me that that was not a door I was That's supposed cool. to walk through. That's cool. So you graduate, uh, you had the Vanderbilt degree. Were you able to mm-hmm. say that from all that? I was. Actually, I remember at graduation, I walk across the stage, I get my diploma, I go sit down, and I open it up, and there's no diploma in there. What? And so, of course, I'm like, After all did this? I miss a credit? <laughs> like, what happened yeah. here? I had like $50 parking ticket that hadn't been paid. Oh, so they were there. withholding my diploma yeah. until I paid it. So that was a kind of a funny story, but That's funny. yeah, I had my degree and um, got into the medical sales business. They w- tended to hire um, college athletes no question. Yeah. Um, just for all the reasons we kind of talked about and, you know, had a good five year career with them. Ultimately, I probably wasn't selling the right product if I'm being honest, but works Striker? Striker, yeah. So I sold capital equipment. So it was big, high dollar stuff that had to get approval from CEOs, CFOs, surgeons, the whole gamut of, of people. And so I'm 25, 26, trying to convince these people that have been running this hospital longer than I've been alive, why they should buy my product and why I knew all this stuff. And, you know, ultimately it just didn't work out. It wasn't a great fit, probably long-term. Um, So that's when I kind of made the transition into the mortgage business. My wife's sister is a a very professional and very successful lender here in Orlando. So she kind of encouraged me to get into this business. She and I are very similar minded. And, um, you know, she kind of said, I I think you could do well in this business. So I took the leap, made the career change and um, haven't looked back and it's been awesome. Yeah. And 
love Jen Miklos, your, your sister-in-law, I guess, is one of my favorite people. Shout out so. to Jen Miklos. Yeah, shout out. Um, she actually was, you're the first person she introduced me to when I moved down I here. I remember that phone call. Yeah. Because she was like, hey, you know, I want to introduce you to Trey and yada, yada. And, uh, and of course, I thought you'd be a cool guy, but I didn't know we'd hit it off like we hit it off and, and we'd work together and become friends probably as quick as we did. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of what you look for in business partners, right? Like you want to have that personal relationship and that's how I've modeled my entire business. Um, but you guys do an awesome job. You've made it very easy to work with and very easy to hang out with. Yeah. So it's, it's been fun getting to know it's you. Great, man. I want to ask you about the medical sales thing because that was a route I thought I would go to. Mm -hmm. I talked about this on this platform a little bit. It just, as an athlete, that seems to be one of those industries that is, is a hotbed for recruiters to say, that a lot of fit between the athlete and the medical sales route. Mm -hmm. Curious from somebody who's been in it through Stryker, one of the big companies out there. Why do you think they like athletes? Yep. And then, and then tell me about maybe what you loved about the experience and then what maybe was left to be desired. So the way that it works is you, as a sales rep, you have your territory, right? And you show up every day. I could have gone to 20 different hospitals on any given day. That was my territory to run. Nobody was looking over my shoulder, making sure I was at the hospital by a certain time. Sure. Nobody was checking up on me saying, what did you do today? So I think the fact that athletes naturally have a tendency to show up and work on their own merit out of their pride, out of whatever you want to call it. Like right. we don't need somebody to tell us to go up, show up and work hard. Internal motivation. Yeah. We do it because we're, we just want to be good at it. We want to be successful, self-motivated. I don't know how else to say it. So I think that's usually what makes athletes a good fit for that career. And it's very much eat what you kill, high risk, high reward. And I think generally athletes understand that risk. They understand the stresses that come along with it and the challenges that come along with it. So it's not as much of a, a shell shock once you mm -hmm. get into that environment. So I think that's really why they, why they pre pre um, prefer you know, college athletes or even former pro athletes. Yeah, because it's like, how many days have you had as an athlete? Call it the college level, but really any level. But I say college because college starts to get to the point where it's so much of a grind, mm -hmm. you know, that it's like you're guaranteed a lot of those days where you don't feel good and you still have to get up. Show up and, and it's figure almost it out. more days than not. Like, it's for me, it was like the days that I woke up and wanted to wake up and the days that I felt good and didn't have a nagging injury – I was like, yo, I feel good today. Like it wasn't like that was normal yeah. for me, especially after you get a couple of years. So you're just constantly dealing with that. Like, ah, okay, but I show up because that's that's what I do. And, yep. you know, I got this bigger goal and this bigger vision. Or you show up and you are feeling good and then you get punched in the face first thing there in the morning. Right. What do you do? Do you pack it in for the day or do you fight through the pain and, and keep going? And, you know, I think naturally athletes are better fighters and bulldogs. Yeah. Or there's a lot of different terminologies you can use for it, but – I think that fighter mentality is, yeah. is a lot of it. So there you go. I've never been able to, to capture that in such a short, that basically athletes master the ability to show up when you don't necessarily feel like it. Yeah. You're put in an arena that you're forced to do. Now, that. the challenge with that, at least the challenge that I found, is, is you have to be very, very smart and intentional as to how you go about selling medical devices, right? Especially with what I was selling athletes generally aren't the brightest and the smartest people in the room just Stereotype. generally Stereotype. Um, so you know it's we're very social very charismatic by nature again we're stereotyping but you know <laughs> it, it's I think that's what draws a lot of people to want to use 
your company, maybe they don't care so much about the product. They just want somebody that's reliable and athletes generally are. Um, But yeah, figuring out the complexities and complications of, of laws and hospital systems and how they all work and how the pricing works. It's, it's a big challenge. And, you know, I think the reason those big companies like Stryker are so difficult to get jobs with is because they have hundreds of guys lined up ready to step in. So if you don't perform at an elite level, kind of like uh, football coaches in the SEC, win or we'll find somebody else. And that's kind of the mentality. And there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. Yeah, yeah. So as you take and you transition now that you're building your business with movement, what did you take when you left that time and you said, hey, here's what I learned from this. Mm -hmm. Jen approaches you to come down here and do mortgages. Um, What was the biggest takeaway that you benefited from being in that type of pressure and environment that you know, now use. Yeah. So with striker, we always operate on an annual quota and that was the benchmark for measuring everything. If you did not hit your quota, that was a big problem. If you hit your quota, you're good. You can keep playing the game. Doesn't matter when you do it, do it month one, you do it month 12. We Usually just care about the annual month quota. one, but yeah, yeah, as long as, you know, for that year. Um, and a lot of, a lot of pressure came with that. And with me being young and somewhat immature, I could sense that as I was doing those sales calls and I needed to close that deal, you know, it's getting to be October, November, like I have to close this deal by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I, I got a little loose with some of my terminology. I maybe pressed a little too hard. I added pressure when I should have taken more sure. of a laid back approach. And I think I let the situation dictate my sales tactics. And that was the biggest thing that I kind of took away from that. And in the mortgage business, there is no quota. Like, it's really up to me. I can do as much or as little as I want. I mean, I have to produce some, sure. otherwise you're not going to keep your job. But you know, if I do 10 million or 20 million or 50 million, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to lose my job if I don't do $50 million right. next year. So I kind of liked that aspect where it's not somebody else projecting expectations onto me. It's I can create my own expectations. And I've found that I've actually succeeded better in that because I can have less pressuring conversations with people. I'm here to serve people. I'm not here to sell something to somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm here to educate them on their options. I'm here to help them buy a house in the most cost-effective way or the way that best aligns with their financial strategy over the next five years. And there's no pressured sales tactics along with that. I never felt good about having to use pressured sales tactics when I was in the business, but I felt that was the only way to meet the standards that were being put on me. And so I think this business is a much better fit for me for that exact reason. Wow, that's interesting, right? Because in the last articulation of that story, you summed up a little bit of how you kind of ended up where you are today. Like athletics, you master the art of showing up uh, because you're reliable. You know, then you learn, you get in this professional arena and you somewhat learn what not to do Mm -hmm. or what you'd like not to see. Um, And then you get to a point where you're more independent and you're able to kind of couple, you know, showing up reliability, how to sell through service Mm -hmm. rather than to sell by convincing, um, which is a huge key for anybody in sales, right? Like you need to say less to more people and approach it with a service mindset. Yeah, they can, they can smell that commission breath on you as soon as you start applying any sort of pressure. "Ah, I don't want to talk to that guy. It achieves the opposite effect of what you intend. You know, I remember there was one very specific day where, so I I sold cameras and I remember I needed to go to the surgeon. I needed to get him to go to the CFO and say, Hey, we need to buy Trey's product and we need to do it now. That was my goal for the day was so there's a lot of pressure in that conversation with him. So he had a couple of surgeries lined up. I spent the whole day in surgery with him and the very last surgery, 
I, I want to have this conversation between surgeries because he's got patients he's course, worrying yeah. about. So the very last surgery, I'm kind of in the back of the room, psyching myself up for this conversation. And he looks back and he says, hey, do you see this right here? It was an abdominal surgery. I said, yes, sir. And he said, this patient has stage five cancer, or whatever stage it was, ovarian cancer. And so immediately I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, this is not good. And so very quiet room after that. And now I'm stuck with this decision of, do I still approach him about doing me a favor or like, I'm probably going to have that conversation between him finding this out about his patient and going to tell the patient's family that she has this cancer. And like, that was a real low moment for me. And ultimately I didn't have the conversation. Um, I didn't get the sale fast enough because I didn't have that conversation and maybe I wouldn't have anyway, but for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't a conversation or a thing that I was willing to do at that time. Mm. It didn't feel right. It didn't sit right. And I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I remember in that day, I was like, this is not, this is not any fun. Yeah. Um, had I made that sale? Yes, I would have made a lot of money, but I just keep looking back now. And had I gone through that conversation, had it would have all worked out and I would have gotten the sale. I still don't think I would have felt good about it. That's insane. I mean that, that, you, you know, I didn't, don't think about those, those surgeons and doctors and, and those are your customers essentially and your referral sources. And mm-hmm. you're having those conversations in between surgeries and along the way. That's heavy. That's heavy. I, I think that would, that would be the right, the right move. And in, in my judgment is just, ha- I just, that's heavy. I mean, you know, does corporate agree that was the right move? Maybe, maybe not. You well, know, if there you was no know. quota or that was earlier in the year, specifically earlier in the year, there's no question you would have known, Hey, the right thing to do is now is not the time. So that, that to me is a challenge when you get to the quota mindset sure. is that depending on where you are on the spectrum, it could alter your judgment and that could ruin relationships too. It could have, maybe I had that conversation and it blows the whole deal up anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, that was a tough moment for me. And, you know, I think being in the mortgage business, this isn't life or death situations. I'm not having to call on other people, ask them favors to do my job for me, which is essentially what I had to do in that other, um, in that other role. And, you know, it's all on me now. And I'm the guy that kind of puts game plans together. I educate people and, you know, I don't ever say anything strong enough to where like, I'm going to ruin somebody's financial life. Like, I don't think we have that much power as mortgage lenders but we definitely have the ability to save them money or to help them navigate a difficult situation home of their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's just much less of a, of a life and death thing. And it's, it's easier to serve them because there is no pressure behind it. Yeah. A little lighter to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I've got my personal goals and I, I, I really need a strong November and December coming up to meet my goal for this year. But I also know that I don't have this quota hanging over my head. So like if it doesn't happen, What's going to happen? Sure. Nothing. I change what I need to change and I hit my goal next year. Yeah. But it's not like I'm going to risk losing my job if it doesn't happen. Sure. Sure. The, uh, so what would you say, man, to young Trey or maybe a, an athlete that's either in it or going to go through it, um, through the transition from athletics to business, what did you learn? What would you say back to your, your, your prior self, um, in regards to that whole experience? Yeah. I mean, I think to me, it all boils down to self-confidence. I think if, if you go back to my college career, even when I was playing at my best, I never had that confidence of I'm the guy, I'm the dog. I'm going to beat everybody this week. 
And I think that's what a lot of those top guys that make it, they have that. They know they're the best player there, and they have that level of confidence, and then you can take that confidence and build momentum with it. Same thing with um, my medical sales career. You know, I hit quota my first year. I had a great year my second year, and then I, I never really – used my confidence to build that momentum. And then I went backwards and now I'm in this position where I'm chasing quota and I'm having to call in favors that I didn't feel comfortable with. And I kind of, I got into that position because I lost that confidence. And then I think now when I advise people financially, you know, it, they can sense my confidence in what I'm saying. And if I say something, even if I'm a hundred percent right, if it doesn't come across with any confidence, they may not believe it. They may not listen to it. I may lose the deal. They may go into a product that's not good for them. They just don't, like, they very much can sense my confidence. So I would try to figure out a way to teach myself that, like, you are good at what you're doing. You are doing the things that are going to make you good at what we're doing. Trust yourself. Mm. Be confident. Project that confidence to people, not in a cocky way, but just so that they know that you know what you're talking about. Um, and use that confidence to build that momentum. I heard something the other day that resonated where people don't necessarily care as much about what you're saying if they believe what you're saying is true. They care about that you believe what you're saying Mm -hmm. is true because that's that conviction and that confidence that people can just feel. Um, And I was like, oh, that's an interesting take and subtlety that just references what you just said. Well, that goes back to showing up and doing the little things, right? Like any one little conversation I have throughout any given day I may have a hundred conversations, but if on that one conversation, I kind of went through the motions and I didn't do it all in, they're not going to feel like I believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They're not going to believe what I'm saying. Yep. You're and you've lose just, confidence. and you've wasted that time. Yep. That's, that's good. Or that opportunity. Well, I, I appreciate you joining us, man. This is, this has been fun. I could have these conversations for hours <laughs> and hours. If you can't tell, we're both passionate about the experience and yeah. kind of how we've transitioned in different ways. But one thing I learned from this conversation is like, man, how do you master the art of showing up? And what I hear from you is you show up and then you continue yeah. to show up and then you kind of learn and become the person that just shows up. And by doing that, simply, it opens up all these other doors. I think people are more aware of people that show up than people realize. And that may be overgeneralizing. Um, but if, if you're trying to get somebody's attention, whether it's a new referral partner, a new business partner, or a coach that's trying to recruit you, they notice your ability to show up more than you probably think they do. Yeah. So I, I don't think the art of showing up can ever be undervalued yeah. or will ever be undervalued. That's so good, man. It's a great stopping point, man. I appreciate it. And best of luck the rest of the way, man. I know we'll be, we'll be close and I'll be able to witness it. Yeah, man. It's, it's been fun, man. It's been a fun ride yeah. and certainly looking forward to the, what the future holds. All right, buddy.